0: Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monacle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's program is all about wind. We meet a founder-cum-filmmaker with multiple businesses in the renewable energy space that are aiming to change how we power our world.
1: The message has certainly caught on and I think there's been a real visibility globally of what's going on and a recognition that it's about opportunity, it's not about political ideology. This is The Entrepreneurs,
0: with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Andy Evans is a leader in Australia's offshore wind industry, so much so that he's appeared on the country's top 100 power list for green energy for the last couple of years. Since founding his first project, The Star of the South, offshore wind farm back in 2012, Andy's developed a portfolio of projects in the energy and resources sector. He's now the co-founder and CEO of OceanX Energy, a leading Australian offshore wind developer working to expand projects off the coasts of Australia and New Zealand. Andy is also the host and producer of an upcoming documentary called Planet Wind, which he self-funded and shot around the world in leading offshore wind nations, from France, Denmark and Norway to Taiwan and Japan. Andy has stopped by Midori House on his Whirlwind global tour, sorry about that, to chat to us about his inspirations and, of course, about the upcoming film. It's my pleasure to welcome him to the studio. Andy, welcome to Midori House. Thanks, Tom. Great to have you here. I know you've been into Monocle before, but really appreciate you making some time to speak to us for the Entrepreneurs' Programme. And let's talk about that entrepreneurialism, because you are something of a pioneer, is that fair to say, in the wind industry, offshore wind, certainly in Australia, back in the motherland. Were you one of those entrepreneurial characters that decided to then apply that drive and zeal and ambition to that industry? Or were you passionate about the industry and the entrepreneurialism followed later?
1: How did the journey begin
0: for you?
1: Nice to catch up, Tom. I think for me, the entrepreneurial journey started really with having a lot of curiosity. I was a very bored and frustrated lawyer. And having gone through life, getting to my mid-30s, thinking I've done everything I was supposed to do, did well at school, went to a good uni, was a lawyer in a supposedly... Good firm and travelled around the world, but realised I was changing jobs every two years. And then I think I was just really searching for that next bit of interest for me, which I found out was just the newness of things. And that stretched into everything. (laughs) Simple things such as the wine I chose or wanted to buy, it was always something new. And it just really grew from there. And I think it was really only late 30s where you get to a bit of a, a fork in the road, I think, in your personal life as well as where you are in society. And you either have to jump and follow what you want to do, or you you stay in the status quo and keep that going and ride out the decades, which was never going to be for me.
0: And do you think that your interest in this particular expression of newness, this area, was that to do with your, I don't know, the fact that you're an Aussie from Australia? Because it's interesting in terms of the different appetites to really get into the discussion about renewables in different parts of the world. I don't want to get into two sort of geopolitical complexities, but Australia interesting moment, obviously sort of raw, a raw materials and minerals, and energy powerhouse in a lot of ways, an interesting discourse in the country over the last couple of decades. Do you think that your approach to renewables, to wind energy specifically, has been informed by a uniquely Australian take on, on the topic?
1: Yeah, look, the need to start an offshore wind industry, which is what I did with two partners in 2012, was very much driven by the need to, I think, make the most of opportunities. I think Australia... Conversely, it's it's a massive contradiction you know we should be the freest nation great resources we shouldn't really have the overhang of monarchies which I won't get into but we've really got a pretty open reign to do what we want to do yet we're really mired in conservatism so about ten or eleven years ago I'd had a background of six or seven years in onshore wind farms at that stage I just felt a need to do something large that hadn't been done before and look I like traveling we've got great access in the world at the moment to information. We really are one massive nation really across the globe. So I've been traveling a fair bit in Europe. I used to come to London in particular a lot. I lived here 20 years ago. So it was natural just to get on a plane and look at some other bigger ideas. And thankfully, one of my partners, Peter Scardellis, had an idea about offshore wind. So we named the company, which is always the first part for me. Like I love starting my entrepreneurial creative process by registering a domain name. I've got about 47 at the moment. So register, Is that all? Yeah, and growing, Tom, and growing. So we started that way. And look, it was very much, look, being an Australian, I think Australians have a nice little chip on our shoulder about not being part of the bigger world geographically. So there's always, I think, a need for Australians to feel like you're proving yourself. Generally, that's always been on the sporting field. I think we're sort of growing up a little bit more and realising the world's a bit bigger and more important than that. So yeah, look, certainly starting the journey 11 years ago really kicked off and unleashed a number of other ideas that I had. And I think once you get started, you just keep going. And look, it's never about the money. You get a lot of people. I get really awkward with the the entrepreneur word because I I think anyone who suddenly works for themselves or sets up a website and becomes an influencer suddenly believes they're an entrepreneur. But there are many different drivers. I think for me, it was just around curiosity and the need to express myself creatively, even though it may have been in a business sense to start with, mm. but just to get that expression out there. Well, we'll talk a lot more
0: about the technologies and, and what they can unlock to address the very urgent challenges that we all face. Just a little bit on the definitions. Do you think that it matters then, whether we characterise the need for change in the energy sector, the climate crisis, does it matter how we characterise that as an environmental challenge or as an explicitly political challenge? Or would you say that actually it doesn't matter about the semantics of what you call it, it matters what you
1: do to address it? Yeah, absolutely the latter, Tom. There are so many titles out there. I have people refer to me, like, I love what you're doing in sustainability, which for me has a totally different meaning for me sustainability is use of other resources and preserving them. I think more about not using plastic bags is more sustainability than than what we're really doing. But, yeah, look, I think particularly in Australia, look, and elsewhere, but I think 95% of people are, are analysts and commentators rather than doers. And I think that's where it creates the opportunity for those with a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. It doesn't take much to get things started. It can be a 10 pound a year domain name registration. Um, And all of a sudden you've got an idea and a seed for something. So the thing that I'm really keen on, particularly in the energy space, is just for people to crack on and do things. Mm. It's hard with politicians in Australia. We only have three year terms for federal politicians. So it's more about getting in, consolidating your spot and getting ready to not lose the next election rather than doing anything. So I think the less titles we have, whether it's net zero carbon emissions reduction, clean energy, renewable energy, it doesn't really matter. We just need people to move on and just see the opportunities and the financial, um, environmental, social, technological, there are just so many opportunities out there.
0: Talk less and do more. I don't think there are any politicians where you are, where we are, anywhere, who really (laughs) subscribe to that. What's interesting though is, I guess it then it will fall on increasingly private sector and third sector innovators to take the long-term view because we have too much short-termism politically. Is that okay? Again, I guess it comes back to the same thing. It doesn't really matter where the innovation is coming from. If it's driven by the private sector, fine. Is that okay to be the leaders? We maybe just have to accept that some of the political class aren't buying in.
1: Yeah, look, I think that's the natural way it does have to happen. It takes a long while for governments to catch up with ideas. Look, a lot of governments, and particularly bureaucracies, aren't paid to make change. A lot of it is about retaining the status quo and protecting how far you fall rather than looking at how high you climb. I used to always hate people using the word, I'm a storyteller. But now I've really come around to it because no one actually says, there's the chosen land, without getting too religious, I'm going to take you there. And this is how we're going to do it. So there's very few people you see out there that really inspire you to do things other than more from the private sector and and often individuals. And most of the individuals who do a lot of the great things, they're not driven by money. They need to get their ideas out there and be heard more creatively and really change, not just influence, but have impact. We like a bit of storytelling.
0: You may have noticed it, Andy, whether it's uh, on the airwaves or, of course, on the printed page. Let's talk a bit more about offshore wind energy then. I think you very modestly said, yeah, we just found some good ideas and and just cracked on with it. I think it's a little more complicated than that. Tell us a bit about the tech. How do you start on something that is, well, I would have thought prohibitively expensive, complex, a bit of a closed shop to new entrants in some ways, not your experience. Tell us how it actually all gets started.
1: Yeah, look, we started, we had a recognition 11 years ago, that Australia was going to come up with some challenges, particularly around electricity generation. Where I'm from in Victoria, 70% of our electricity comes from brown coal. That's unexportable. And a lot of the industry, particularly in Victoria in the southeast, is purely around digging up the coal, burning it and sending it to to power Melbourne, a city of about 6 million people now. So we recognise that The power generators, there were four down there, were ageing. They weren't going to be replaced. You couldn't sell the coal. And they weren't going to be replaced just because the cost of replacing the infrastructure is so large. So we recognised in Australia that it's all about getting access to the grid and where you are actually sending the electricity out. In Australia, look, I think we are renowned for being beach bums, although I'm very, very pale and pasty. Look, 85% of us live within 50 kilometres of the coastline. All our power generation if its coal is all located within about 70 kilometres of the coastline. So we sort of recognised there was an access to the market with the grid, the resource being offshore with offshore wind was really close to the grid. So there was a really large, effectively, power station that could be placed out of the water. So that got us going 11 years ago, and it started from a very non-engineering perspective. We create false politics. So for us, the first seven or eight years became a political game of using three-word slogans like jobs and investment, regional development opportunities, and the like. So it started with that storytelling of saying, look, we've got an opportunity to do something really great here. I think Australians can be a little bit too relaxed. I think most Australians, if they've got a six-pack and the sun shining and their football team's winning, life's good. Why would you change? I think we were very much driven by, yes, yeah, Australia's a great country, but it wasn't for about 10 years. You know, Now we've got a chance, not that I'm running for a presidential election, we can make Australia great again. Let's become a great country. Sorry, Tom, that was very cheesy. (laughs) We we really wanted to look at how good we can be. And Mm. we didn't want it to be regional. You know, we, we are, and particularly offshore wind is large infrastructure, which is really underpinned by large operators, particularly in offshore oil and gas who want to transition, a lot of large infrastructure and pension funds who have so much money tied up, which should be out there. It shouldn't be going into other funds. It should be going directly into projects or those with some entrepreneurial vision to actually deliver on things. So, look, we sort of really went down that path of trying to build a story and try and have it as as global or at least national as we could.
0: Well, one of the sort of expressions of that global narrative is this film that you're still working on, which is very exciting, which we'll come to in just a second. But just on the point about storytelling, even in the, what, decade or so now of this adventure, Andy, is the discourse catching up with where you wanted the conversation to be back in 2011, 12? It feels like there's probably conversations maybe you can have now. There's an engagement you can tap into from the public, critically, that has moved on quite a lot. I don't want to be blindly optimistic, but do you feel that we're, we're not where we need to be, but are we seeing enough improvement at fast enough pace?
1: Certainly in Australia, we're like with most things, we're catching up to the rest of the world. We're about a decade behind with television back in the 50s. We're catching up with things now, particularly the last 12 months. A change of government has really helped, but I think there is now, I don't know, some clarity on... I suppose the right media voice is getting out there as well and the right voices being heard and getting a bit more of a, a platform in the right way. I mean, not via Twitter. So I think the message is more widespread. And look, when we started on our initial project with the Star of the South project 2012, we'd just be happy if one day we got paid for actually doing what we were doing. It didn't have to be a lot of money, but now we've got... Legislation put in place just over 12 months ago at a federal level in Australia. We've got the latest or the first zone was released for parties to apply for feasibility licences. There were over 41 applications, all from the very, very top biggest companies in the world. So it's got to the stage where it's almost a little bit too flooded. So we will get to the film, but I think making a film was like the chance to get out there and have a bit more creativity as well, which we had in the early days for offshore wind. We actually were the fun days when people thought you were crazy. People still thought an offshore wind farm was something that their friends lived close to, although there were none in the Southern Hemisphere. So the message has certainly caught on. And I think there's been a real visibility globally of what's going on and a recognition that it's about opportunity. It's not about political ideology.
0: Uh, Well, and what is the scale of the opportunity? Because I think there's still often a bit of a narrative about the switch to renewables needs to happen. We need to think in a more holistic way about energy provision. We need to ensure that we sort of allow developing countries to catch up with the developed world otherwise we're sort of kicking the ladder away etc etc these are well-known narratives but is it a game changer i mean evangelize a little bit for us about the wind power because i know that's what the film a little bit will do tell us why you have such a conviction that this isn't just rhetoric there's real substance here and it can address these very urgent challenges that we face
1: look offshore winds chance to shine has come right now particularly onshore wind as well which is a few years ahead and it's really been the costs involved. Sadly, a lot of things do get down to the to the cost of the opportunity. So financially now, you can actually bite through all the bile that was out there and narratives about it being so expensive and we should be looking at unrealistic options like nuclear, which I have nothing against. It's just very, very expensive, let alone treatment of waste. But it's coming to that nice time where you cannot deny a lot of the economic figures. You cannot deny a lot of the environmental impacts. The environmental impacts of always been there and been known, but without having the support of saying, you know what, it's actually not only cheaper for people to buy their electricity, but it creates social opportunities. You can have regions where you can build these projects where generations of families can stay there for 30 or 40 years. They don't need to move to the local biggest city. You don't have people, so at the moment on the East Coast, particularly the Northeast, you know, which is becoming a fantastic area for offshore wind. You don't need to move to London or down to the South Coast to work on marine-based projects or up to you know, Aberdeen to work on offshore oil and gas. You can actually stay, we were in Newcastle last week and just north of that Port of Blythe. You can actually stay in those regions and have great jobs and keep families together and look at flows through to, in Australia, we heard one town, Yarram, for the first time five years ago, there'd been no cricket team in 91 years because the young people coming through either only looked at moving to Melbourne or being unemployed. So there are a lot of other benefits which mean that renewables are having their time to shine beyond costs, beyond wanting to save the planet.
0: And that's really interesting. I think a narrative that, again, probably is overlooked, we hope, because we're so interested in this idea of what quality of life means in a truly holistic way. And there are these things, the very social fabric often depends on having this infrastructure and a commitment to it that's enduring because it supports community and it supports family. A narrative that's not shared often enough. Let's talk a bit about the film. I think what shines through, Andy, obviously you have this passion about storytelling, so maybe it, is a, it follows that you would get involved in a project like this, bringing the, the adventure and the story and the excitement and unlocking all that potential to the the screen. But how did that
1: chapter get started? It's a torture-meandering story, which I'll keep to the, <laughs> the, the, the very short version. Yeah. So looking short, the, the film is a film called Planet Wind. It's about a fascination with the planetary force which is wind, something we live with every day, generally seen as a foe rather than a friend. So it's sort of getting into a bit more of a general interest point of what is the wind, why is it there, what's its benefit, you know, and we delve into the fact that civilised earth wouldn't be inhabited all around the world because no one could sail anywhere to find anything. Um, and then looks at, okay, look, wind is really our friend and an opportunity and how could we use it for something like offshore wind? So it's not just about the industry and how we build it, but I really came around with looking at a film, it was about... Seven months ago, I held an Offshore Wind Australia conference in Australia, which I ran myself 250 people. And we were set very much with a, a fun mindset. It wasn't about exhibitor stalls. It wasn't, I'm a lawyer by background, so I didn't need engineers coming out there and telling me about technology, which would never happen unless developers create the projects. And to be honest, I was sitting around my house two weeks after the conference, listening to Offshore My Age. I'm a fan of Duran Duran, 49, 50 in a few months. And we're listening to Planet Earth, and I was like, Just sort of got lost. I thought, you know, next year for the conference, I should make a film. And look, I'd love to call it Planet Wind. So thankfully, I had a connection to a film director and financier. So I spoke to him the next day. And by chance, his director mate happened to be down from Byron Bay. So we came down to Melbourne and we started talking about it. Within a week, we had a script. Um, We had the crew ready, had the itinerary lined up. Um, With a really tight deadline to release it, which we're doing 22nd of November in Sydney this year. So we've got an IMAX screen. And look, I'm in a fortunate position where I've got the money to self-fund it, but I've probably got the mindset to take the risk. It's a bit, I always compare it to marrying off your daughter. I mean, once the wallet's open and you get asked the question, can we spend this? It's like, yeah, just go for it. So. Um, I've got a very good director and production manager, I've been very good with the budget. But we've been traveling all around Europe at the moment. So started in in London, up the east coast of England, Aberdeen, Edinburgh, Oslo, Copenhagen. Just finished in Stavanger yesterday, and then about six weeks break, and then off to Taiwan, Japan, and east coast of US. So, look, my main driver was really needing a creative outlet. It's been a tough sort of ten years, always having to feel like you're selling whilst I'm a a lawyer by background, I naturally have a bit of agitation. I don't mind a little bit of adversarial interaction. But last year, it was just a build-up of, I'm sick of boardrooms. I'm sick of leading stuff where you've got a lot of advisors involved where you're the one out there doing the work and you just want everyone to clear out. So for me, it was, look, the word cathartic is overused. For me, it was just a real adventure, not only to to get a message out, because I do want it to have an impact, particularly for a Australians, the Australian government, that we've got a great opportunity. But for me, it was very much, I think a natural crossroads is the wrong word, but my future is not going to be sitting in an office for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Look, I'm not someone who'll ever be retired, but I don't want a standard future career path. Now I've sort of broken out of the legal, very structured career path. It's almost like every opportunity is out there. And I think the only risk you've got is not actually doing something that you want to do. So... It's been a fantastic journey the last six months and probably more leading me into wanting to do more film. But it's more about I think I can have more impact by getting the message out there rather than lining up with projects, going through business plans. It's Get the message out so the biggest audience can hear what you're trying to say and see how great the planet really is and how good life is.
0: It comes back. It's the same prioritising of that powerful and positive story that you started off by, by talking about. It intrigues me, when you go around the world then, is the, the narrative about the current jeopardy, but also the opportunity is that the same? Do you find there are these threads that run through that story whether you are talking to somebody in Tokyo or Edinburgh or Toronto or wherever it might be, is there a universality to the kind of tale that you're telling you think that does cross borders very very fluidly?
1: Yeah, look, there is. I think the main thing is that people are learning to get excited about life a bit more. I think if you come to something with a positive attitude and say, hey, you know what, we, we can actually do this. There, there's some real opportunity here. I think I do far too much reading, not just a monocle, but look at a number of other sort of founder sort of journeys. And I think the common thing that comes through is that humans are programmed to run from fear rather than run to happiness. So I overquote that far too much, but I think if... You look more to the opportunity in things. It's amazing how things actually can pan out that way. And people really get caught up in that excitement. It's not faux hysteria. It's actually a, we can actually do this. And I'm sort of glad that someone's out there saying that we've got these opportunities. Let's look at things a little bit differently rather than our programmed way, which is about minimising the fall rather than optimising the fly.
0: I love that. Andy, if people are, and why would they not be moved to... Get involved. Find out more. They'll need to wait till November, I think, to watch
1: the film. There'll be a few little trailers come out. Okay, So,
0: so keep an eye. But where should they go? Is it best that they... Do you like people to get in touch? How should people sort of furnish themselves with more information? Or if they feel like, oh, that's really sparked my... A bit of entrepreneurial vigor. I want to do something. What should, what should people do?
1: Got a really open door with wanting to hear from people. I think my main thing was particularly it started out with young lawyers, trying to get young lawyers out of being lawyers because I hated it for 15 years. So I feel like I've got a bit of a mission, but look, I'm contactable in many ways. I hate to give the professional way out there. LinkedIn is obviously a big forum. Most of the industry in which I'm involved in are there. Look, through our websites, you know, whether people want to uh, come through, what or Tom, I'm happy to hand out details. I've got an email address, if that's appropriate, aevans at oceanx, oceanexenergy.com. Look, I really love hearing stories from people. And look, and just finding out the journey, as I said, look, I'm a real founder junkie. I mean, obviously... You know that's why it's a bit of a adulthood dream being here with you today. is an incredible source of stories which you get inspiration from you know with every edition and whether it's you know the smaller entrepreneurial book or just the standard monocle release. all you need to do if you have that entrepreneurial itch is reach out to people. We've all been in the lowest positions you can think of, questioning whether you can afford anything, whether your idea's any good you know I have stuff even now with. Big investors where you send through requests for funds, which are entitled to, you still get nervous sending an invoice for that. So everyone feels the same, I think, lows, but also the same exhilaration, which you can only know if you're actually out there having a crack and doing it. No one's out there judging. Most people are actually really envious that you're out there doing your own thing. They don't understand the sleepless nights. But I think for a lot on the journey, they're not sleepless nights. They're opportunities where you're actually thinking I mean, you, you wish you could sleep, but often your best ideas come at 3am in the morning. And whether you write it down or with me, it's your yeah, register a domain name. Um, you know, so I'm always interested to hear from people. I'd like to say I've got all these beautiful Twitter handles. I've got an Instagram handle, at Vinus Ventures, which is another entrepreneurial venture. I need to update that tab, but I'd love to hear from people, particularly from around the world, because I get as much inspiration hearing from other people's stories as the other way around.
0: Andy, thanks again for coming to see us. That was Andy Evans. And you can learn more by heading to one of Andy's many domain names or, of course, to OceanXEnergy.com. And that's it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do look out in the meantime for Eureka! on Fridays. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. You can listen again and find out more at monocle.com. That's where you can also subscribe to Monocle magazine and read more about better businesses every month. Do follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform if that suits you better. To contact the team, email Laura. She's on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to the entrepreneurs.